Welcome to the continued podcast adventures of Superhero Speak. But I think many of the people that love this character and that love superheroes in general have used these stories as inspiration to say, you know what, I'm going to do something good in the world. I'm going to make a difference like my hero when I was a kid. That is my fondest memory of it because when, you, when you're doing comic books, you want them to affect people. Right. You bring people to care. You want, you want to strike emotions. And I knew that that clone saga was striking a lot of emotions. Can you yep. imagine uh, Pulp Fiction starring Goofy and uh, Mickey Mouse? I can totally <laughs> imagine that. You I'm know sure what somebody's they call written it? that one. with cheese in France, Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> what? Boyale with cheese, Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally see. I, I, would, I would watch the hell out of that movie. Yes, I gladly saw, sacrifice that my. my progeny to you of a mighty marvel beast <laughs> but neil adams is somewhere going mm, it's, it's my time uh, how do you measure success hey everyone and welcome to superhero speak i'm your host dave okay jd you don't need to make a joke i was waiting <laughs> I, I, what's the point i'm jd because john's got a basement flooded <laughs> Sorry, video show. Yeah, sorry about that, Pat. But we do go live at eight thirty. So, please, yeah. So we do have a guest with us tonight. Those who follow us on social media, we've talked about this a couple times now. He hasn't been on the show for nine years. In fact, the last time you were on, it was Robin Hood Volume Three was coming out. Wow, (laughs) that is a mean while ago. Yeah, Yeah. Um, you have been up to a lot since then. We got a lot to talk about. So, of course. The one and only Pat Shand. How are you doing, sir? Hello. How's it going, everybody? It's going all right. Good. How are you, JD? Yeah, I'm all right, man. <laughs> it's thunderstorm going on outside. That's always interesting. Thunderstorms in the Midwest. I'm not having flooding, so I can't talk about that. Like, John certainly has it worse than I do. Yeah, um, yeah. I, took my, I had a great night last night. I took my kid to go see Return of the Jedi oh, at the I theater. Did not, did not get a theaters? chance. Yes, it is. For this the 40th week. anniversary, yeah. Pretty sick. It was awesome. First movie I ever saw at the movie theater, I got to take my little boy to. So, yeah, it was great. We had an awesome time. Had a had a good wrestling tournament in the morning, and then doing this. I had a great day. Dave, how about you? I'm sad I did not get a chance to go because my youngest, I only have two kids, turned 21 this weekend. He actually today is his actual birthday, so I feel old. <laughs> we Friday we celebrated his birthday. At, uh, his grandmother's had dinner and cake and everything and then yesterday he wanted to play in a he plays Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon he wanted to play in a Pokemon tournament to celebrate his birthday and then him I and my girlfriend took him out to dinner and then so today he just wanted to stay inside and relax a little bit and not do much so yeah hangover (laughs) (laughs) maybe a little bit but yeah no it was a good week good weekend we had fun how are you doing Pat I'm good. I'm good. H- hanging out with two cool guys Sunday night. It's pretty stormy here too. Actually, it's been it's been pretty nasty out recently. Huh? Yeah, we had a burst of beautiful spring, summer, early summer weather, and then all of a sudden, yeah, it actually rained here for three days in a row. That's why our other co-host John's not with us. His basement flooded earlier yeah. this evening, and he's trying to clean that up right now. 
Hey, look, we got our first fan question for you. Any relation to Frank Shane? Oh, that's the, the that's a Star Wars thing, right? Yes, I think so. From that's from our good friend Don. So yeah, that definitely would be Star Wars related. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shout to whoever took my last name and applied it to the fictional character. <laughs> I appreciate it. There's also I think an R&B singer called Remy Shand. So right now I was the second most famous Shand, and now <laughs> and it came in and stole my shit, which is I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> of course not. So now I'm, I'm number three, which it doesn't seem right. It's not a Maybe it's maybe it's different from your perspective, but it's not a very common last name, I don't think. No, it's not. I've I've had people say, "Oh, that's very Irish," but to me, I've never even heard it before. I don't know any Shans besides myself, my family, Remy, and now this Fennec. This BS. <laughs> <laughs> you had a lock on it. Now it's all changed. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and Oliva. I always thought that was a an interesting last name. It means all I know, but I saw there's a cigar company with the same name. There are no, no relation to that. They're very wealthy. I'm not. You're not. No. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, here we go. No. Don's letting us know oh. it's from Boba Fett. Got you, got you, got you. I thought John was about to jump on. No worries. He'll be on eventually. Cool. We're all caught up. Actually, it's funny. I wanted to do this. So we started something last week. I thought we had a little bit of fun with it. JD definitely enjoyed it because... It had a lot of good things to say about him. You're familiar with Chat GPT, there, Pat? Yeah, I know what it is. I know it's probably going to kill us all soon. Uh, <laughs> in time, yeah, they're going to enjoy it until it goes rogue. So in the meantime, yes. we're going to do what all humans do and underrate it and have fun, and then it will murder us all, and then it won't matter anyway. Yes. So we asked last week. We asked it to tell us about the podcast Superhero Speak, and it got some stuff right, some okay. stuff wrong. It was interesting. Then we asked, but it didn't mention JD. JD's was came in six years now, JD. Oh, yeah. 2017, just about six years ago. Yeah, just about six years ago, he came in. It mentioned the original third host, and then, but then, so we asked it directly, "Who's JD Oliva?" And it got, got a couple a, things wrong, well, but a, a lot, said a lot of nice things about it. Yeah, it's wonderful. I'm, I support the AI because it's floating <laughs> my ego. That's a good thing. So until so it I kills asked, me. I asked it actually right before we logged in. Who is Pat Shand? Oh Jesus! Okay. Now I'm curious how much of this is still correct. Okay. Pat Shand is an American writer, editor, and teacher who has worked in the comic book industry for over a decade. He is known for his work on titles as Robin Hood, Charmed, Van Helsing, and Grim Fairy Tales, all published by Zenoscope. Shan is also written for Marvel, DC, and Boom Studios. Oh, already one wrong thing there. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) In addition to his work in comics, Shan has also written novels, short stories, and screenplays. He currently teaches writing at St. John's University in (laughs) Queens, New York. No. I know you don't live in New York anymore, so... I do live in New York. Oh, oh, okay, okay. But I don't currently teach, and I've never taught at St. John's University. That's hilarious. I wonder where, the, you wonder where this stuff comes from, because I know all the internet, all the information came from the internet, but you wonder, yeah. where did it come from? I do wonder where it comes from. I wonder where a lot, like the DC thing. I've never written for DC. I don't know where that comes from, but it's interesting. You did write Spider-Man, right, for Marvel? Yes, yes. Spider-Man, Thor, Iron Man guardians and captain america yeah so i don't i read spider-man that's how i know (laughs) yeah interesting what did you write for boom boom i did an adventure time comic story and yeah them not mentioning kickstarter is crazy i feel like 
the AI probably has only access to certain sites and certain sites block it. So it doesn't really analyze everything. But yeah, very interesting what it had to say. Yeah. Didn't for me either with Kickstarter because I ran seven of them and it never mentioned a single one of them. So I think you might be onto something there. Yeah, because I feel like if it was pulling from either Kickstarter itself, certain sites, or even my social media presence, it would have probably brought that in as the main thing, right? Because the teaching, I've spoken about here and there. But I think the only site that mentions me as a teacher still is probably my my wiki entry on the Charmed wiki page. <laughs> but I don't see it anywhere else. Raven Gregory says, Pat is looking quite pink today. I assume this yes, is someone bro. you know? <laughs> yeah, Raven is, he is a former writer. He retired in the uh, mid-2010s. He used to be known for stuff like Wonderland from Xenoscope. Okay. He, he is now a, let me see, negative Z-list comedian. He's a friend of mine. <laughs> We have an ongoing social media beef. And yeah, I would say, I don't even need to roast him back. Anyone just go to his Facebook page and see his latest post today. His entire social media presence is a dramatic self-own. Cool. All right. We will leave that over there. (laughs) Welcome, Raven. I'm glad you're watching. All right. You're not welcome, Raven. (laughs) (laughs) No one else here, bro. Speaking of social media, actually, there is a segment that we do. I'm going to stick with it. I know, JD, you're like, why? We have a guest. Whatever. We have a segment called Social Media Madness where we interact with our fans, especially the ones who tweet, and they respond to like stuff we've talked to. And actually, I like the first one's a good thing to talk, mention. Kassan Warren, one of our biggest fans, just mentioned we talked about the Super Mario movie a couple weeks ago. We did a review of it, and it is the first animated movie to hit a billion dollars. Did, really? uh, did, did you see it, Pat? No, no. I mean, the first ever? Yeah. yeah. So, so this is the biggest animated film of all time. Yes. That, if you asked me if it was in the top 300, I wouldn't have said yes. That's crazy to me. Yeah. That's killing it. Really? Hmm? Yeah. It's, I think it's, Kassan uh, says he's our biggest fan. Thanks, Kassan. I think it's because it is a very family-friendly movie, and I don't think we've gotten, like, good ones that are r- related to properties we all enjoy in a long time yeah, yeah. most skew older and this one really doesn't like it yeah my seven-year-old thought it was just fantastic he absolutely loved it my my so. granddaughters loved it they're both five yeah interesting and i know that people love chris pratt too there's definitely the contingent that kind of pushes back on the internet demonizing him that want to go out and show yeah like we support chris pratt like he's the every man kind of actor i've definitely seen that outside of that i really have seen no conversation about the film at all so that's it's cool yeah, it'll be on streaming, I'm sure, before you know it. <laughs> you can watch it then. But yeah, it's just fun. It's it. You don't go to it expecting any kind of deep storyline. It's just yeah. a fun Mario adventure for yeah. an hour and a half or whatever it is. Yeah, so. Perfect, perfect kids movie, really. Yeah. Let's see. All right, cool. Of course, we talked about the upcoming Ahsoka trailer. Ahsoka show, the trailer for it. To which Don responded with, it was excellent. This will be another smash hit for Star Wars. Huh. And Gassan chimed in with, they hit the right tone, the right casting, and the right action. The scope of the story is impressive. The dialogue sounded good. I almost feel like Disney has discovered a long-kept secret. Good writing makes good movies. (laughs) It's a bold take. Do you agree with that, Pat? Does good writing make good movies? It can. (laughs) Sometimes a bad cast can turn what feels like good writing into clunky lines. But I'd say so, probably, yeah. I haven't seen this trailer. This is the Red Girl, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't watch this franchise very much myself, but I know that people like the character. I only know her from seeing clips of, it looked to me 
like like a 3D animation type cartoon. So that I know about, but I've never seen the show at all. Okay. Curious, like where you fit generation wise, because people from my generation, we grew up on Star Wars. So like we we consume everything Star Wars. I think you're a little younger than me. Um, Did you grow up? What was your Star Wars for your age group? The prequels were my Star Wars, but I didn't like them. I went to the movies and I tried to watch the first one and I ended up playing Game Boy during it. And then I tried the second one and it just, it wasn't for me. I ended up seeing the new Ray Star Wars, the yeah. Force Awakens. I saw that in theaters. I thought that was cool, but I didn't go back to see two and three. And the shows aren't for me personally. Yeah. <laughs> up, up. We have corrections here. Okay. Okay. Raven said, Damn it, you guys made me look. It's not the first animated film to hit a billion. It's the first movie this year to hit a billion. All right. Thank I'm, you for the correction. Oh, Mark says, Emma Ray Gunn says, Super Mario is number 11 in animated movies. Lion King is still number one, and it's definitely the biggest grossing video game movie. All right. All right. All right. Fine, guys. Yeah. That, Lion King is the one where I was like, it beat Lion King? Yeah. I, I would say Lion King and Frozen are the ones that I would say have to be at the lead. Lion King's one of the ones they re-released a couple times, though, too. Right? And they count all of that. If they re-release yeah. it yeah. for an anniversary, they count that in, towards the box office. It's one of the reasons they re-released Avatar a few times, so that it would stay number one. <laughs> see, if you can put Raven's most recent comment on the screen real quick. See, <laughs> this is why Raven is a negative Z-list comedian. <laughs> why is it all super successful people like Pat dress like shop at goodwill he's so humble <laughs> see the funniest part is that raven wears these ratty wife beaters like these this red wife beater and here i'm like bro come on come on there's no his jokes have no basis in reality and i've been coaching him too i'll message him and i'll say raven when you attack me do it like this mention this which is an insecurity of mine it, there's a base in reality here so when you say it it's gonna actually be funny but he just doesn't learn bro oh we should have brought him on the show <laughs> it's funny that you guys have never heard of him and you met me as a xenoscope writer back in the day yes that was his heyday and uh, it's long past right yeah i guess too bad he retired i mean yeah, it was a forcible retirement though uh... <laughs> So I see. We'll we'll leave that where it lies. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing we talked about last week was Elizabeth Olsen, if if you can believe her, said that she doesn't currently have a contract with Marvel for any upcoming films. And so Randy replied with random Randy Savage from the Cult 45 podcast replied with, sounds like someone is trying to get another boatload of money from the mouse. I'm sure once we get Magneto back to the MCU, she will show back up, which I couldn't resist. I replied with, Sounds, so are you saying she has daddy issues? <laughs> which he replied with, God, I hope so. And <laughs> the so Wizard podcast said, I trust her completely. She is the most purest of wife- waifus. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Joey, Joey, Joey. I assume you've seen the Marvel movies. Yes, I have seen up to the Spider-Man Before Last, the one okay. at the game. When they introduced all the TV shows, it got overwhelming. Yes. But I will eventually catch up. I do like those. As far as Elizabeth Olsen, I do feel like it's one of those things where if she's saying that, it feels like marketing to get people yeah. talking about it. I see that a lot. I personally feel as if the whole, oh, Sony's not going to let Marvel do more Spider-Man. That to me was like, hey, yeah, they are. Like that, that never felt real. All these things really never feel real. They feel like blatant marketing. 
And I don't mind it. I think it's smart to do. In fact, I think that the, the whole ongoing bit about Tom Holland almost spoils Spider-Man like that. Yeah. That always feels like blatant marketing. None of this feels like it's real, which yeah. I, I don't mind. I feel like it's Hollywood trying to capture that what happens on social media a bit more naturally. I feel like they're trying to start these conversations, which why wouldn't they? Yeah. It was leaked that Paul Rudd was going to be Ant-Man and he denied it and denied it. And then it was like, oh, yeah, there he is. Yeah. I'm sure they're told what to say. JD, you're being quiet. I'm just listening. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. You know what? I think that's enough social media madness. Oh, okay. Hold on. One more question or comment from Raven. Pat also never real feels real. <laughs> I imagine he feels like a blow up doll. Someone never clean comes to life. Ow. Ow. It, would, it would be ow if it wasn't just randomly chosen gross words. Like I told him, basis in reality, heighten it, humor. And he just, he never learns. He, ne- he just never learns. All right. On that lovely note, here's our good friend Don to tell you how you can follow us on social media and be part of social media. <laughs> Enjoying the show? Do you want to be part of social media madness? Go ahead and head on over to SuperheroSpeak.com. You'll find all the links you need episodes of the show, comic reviews by Chris, and other articles. We're posting stuff on there all the time. And while you're there, you can also check out the rest of the Geek World All-Stars Podcast Network. Great shows like the Pop Prison Power Podcast, Cult 45 Baby, So Wizard Podcast, Fans on Patrol, The Gorilla Brain Podcast, and of course, Superhero Speak. Hashtag GW All-Stars and you're not going to be disappointed. So, make sure that you are commenting on our Twitter articles. Could be a poignant comment, could be a stupid one. Either way, gives you a chance for Dave to possibly mispronounce your Twitter handle. All right, I've rambled on enough. Let's head back to Dave and the gents on Superhero Speak. Thanks for that, Don. And don't forget to check out the Omega Level Nerds podcast available on YouTube and wherever podcasts are available. And you know what? Real quick, Hassan does make a good point here. I think it's more market research than social media hype. The mouse wants to see if their actors still hold popularity. Talking about, obviously, what's her name? Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth Olsen, thank you. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that. We live in a world, right, where you're going to float to... You got to float things out there to like, oh, are they still popular? Does what people think of this? And it's a world of social media. I don't know. I always thought too, it could be a little bit of her marketing herself, right? Just like trying to negotiate a better deal. Oh, that's fine right now. Could be all those things. Could be all of them together. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back with more topic, more conversation with Pat. Some podcasts are like this. On top, missionary, pull the leg over. So that way it's like they're on their side yep, yep, a bit. Yep. So that way it's like you're hitting it from the back, but, but you're still getting face action. Yeah. So that way you still reach a hand awesome up twister there. Shirt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but you still get deep. You get t- and, and face, face and neck. It's a power position. What would you call that? Like a wine opener? The bop it. You can smack it. You can choke <laughs> it. You can pull it. You can do everything. And some podcasts are like this. It's hard. It's it's I'm one day off vaping right now, bro. And I want to fucking smoke a bowl out of my own nuts, bro, of pure nicotine. But only one podcast is where you can get in-depth analysis like this. Oh, we let that slide. That was woo. 
He's sweet and sour it's chicken fine. ass nigga. <laughs> he's a bad it's guy. Oh, let's just walk over this one. Because he was a villain, we let that slide. That was. He's a, I forgot about that. My bad. Just because you naming food, nigga, don't make it better, dog. Like it's still racist as shit. It's so much racism. Bro, also, I know ain't no black people wrote this, so I know this is just... This is just that much. Like, we can say whatever he wants through his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Think of all the racist things you want to say to those Asian people. Get it off the chest. It. It'll be spoken in jive, so it wouldn't hurt so much. His sweet jive mouth. <laughs> you are now listening to Cult 45. This is Beat'em Down. And I'm Random Randy Savage. Find us on all your podcatching apps like Podbean or Spotify. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or just go to www.cult45podcast.com. Also, check out our YouTube for that sweet video content. Cult 45, the only podcast that puts hair on your chest. That's a great that one. Fantastic. That was their best one. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's so yeah, funny. They're friends of ours, and we advertise. Actually, in the audio version, we that's where we plug in actual ads. And it's funny because, yeah, we've known them for a while, and he keeps changing the ad up every couple of weeks. And it's fun. It, they're one of the best. If you like cult movies, they're one of the best podcasts to listen to. Hilarious. You might have to rip the audio this week and put it actually in the show because that was fantastic. That was a great ad for sure. And that Theo Vaughn clip is just Theo Vaughn to me is a podcast goat. And the actual podcast itself, Call 45, seems great too. Cool. So, Pat, yes, it's all yes. about you now. It's been it's been nine years since we've chatted. Long time. I'm sure you've been up to I don't know, one or two things since then. Can we have? Actually, you know what? Let's start with, we haven't really talked in a while, and there might be people out there who aren't familiar with your work. What got you interested in working in comics in the first place? Interested in working in comics? I just always wanted to be a writer, period. Growing up, I read novels. I saw writer credits on things like TV. I would go into an experience, like, I I would go on an amusement park ride and hear lines of dialogue. And I would think, oh, somebody wrote that. There's writers who had their hands in everything. And I first started reading comics when I noticed that TV shows that I loved would end on TV and continue in comics through licensed media. That made me want to read those as a fan. And then I saw that there were just freelance writers who were able to write these awesome media tie-in books. And then they were having their own careers doing creator-owned work. Like, for example, I saw Brian K. Vaughn. I saw he was writing yeah. The Vampire Slayer. I saw he was writing Runaways from Marvel. And then I saw he had two epic ongoing creator on series, Ex Machina, Why the Last Man. And I was like, this kind of a career is just, it's incredible that you could do this in comics. And I noticed that there was a lower barrier of entry than TV or novels, especially as a fan, to talk to the writers, you can just go on at the time. I was able to read a comic, go on Facebook, add the writer, and be talking to them that day. The, the same could not be said of a showrunner on TV. Yeah. So that was interesting to me as a reader. And it became apparent to me that I would be able to push my way into this industry as a writer and write comics as well. It was never just comics for me. It was theater novels film comics all at once always and it just so happens that comics has been the one that has taken off and has been amazingly successful for me especially the past few years and has been 
it's allowed me to d- d- develop a, a community of creators and artists, writers around myself that I feel at home in. And yeah, yeah. Cool. What was, what was one of the, what's, because you mentioned you, they, they continued into comics, the TV shows you were watching. What were some of the shows you were watching that were doing that back then? Buffy, Angel, Supernatural, <laughs> later on True Blood. You would see back then, it's totally different now, but back then genre shows were far and few between. You, you would get yeah. a new genre show now and then, and the ones that came out, if it wasn't good, you wouldn't see a new one for a while. I remember when the show Moonlight came out, it was this CBS vampire show, and it came out, and I was like, oh no, it sucks. We're not going to have a horror-based fantasy show like this come on again for years now. So th- those shows were so infrequent that when they would come on and end, I, I always wanted more. And IDW at the time was great with continuing those kind of things. Movies, yeah. too. They had a great Ghostbusters license. I don't know if they still do those, but those were great. They even did more mainstream things like 24. I loved watching 24 with my dad. The fact that there was a comic was so unique to me because you don't see that kind of thing happen in many other media where they just pick up the show, assume knowledge and write it as if it's an episode. Or in the case of Buffy, they did a whole new season. They did multiple seasons where the actual showrunner was working on yeah. it. That's unique to comics. In media novels, you will not see the showrunner of the show writing the novel with the very rare exception of Rob Thomas did it for Veronica Mars. But generally, comics is where you go to see your favorite shows continue. And that trend has definitely fallen off a bit in the past decade or decade and a half. But that's what drew me in to start with. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because it's interesting. I would think with Marvel TV, it would be picking back up. But now they don't tie their comics and the shows in together at all. Which, I mean, I think that's a missed opportunity. I think they look at the mainstream comics more as R&D for what they want to do more so than than to try to tie stuff in. I think that's just where they do the research development, keep stuff in tune with or in line with their continuity, their 616, let's say, continuity more so than than just trying to tie into the movies. I don't know. Kassan says, hey, I remember the nuclear mess, the cape. I bombed so bad, I thought we'd never see another superhero show again. I have zero memory of this show. Really? I don't I, remember it at I all. Watched, what was the cape? It was a really bad show. I did watch the first episode when it came on. And it was, they were trying to do something beyond the capabilities of the time, the CGI. It's a CGI cape that's got all these magic powers and stuff. And it just, it looked bad. And it's, I'm going to say late early, early, late 80s, early 90s. Oh, I have no memory of that. I have to look that yeah. up real quick, actually. Okay. So. 2011, uh, you were way off. Oh, wait, there's two. There's two. Did you, they remade it, apparently. There are two shows called The Cape. There was one from 96 to 97. And there was oh, okay. one in so 2011. There's a 2011 I, version, too. I remember the 90s one. That's the one I saw. Kazan, which one are you referring to? Because I have zero memory of either of these things. I had no <laughs> idea. Uh, all right. <laughs> That's not important right now. No. Uh, so, obviously, the thing that kind of kicked up me wanting to, to have you back on, I did want to talk about this a little bit, speaking of TV. And he's talking about the 2001, 2011, says Kazan, is that you announced that one of your books destiny new york is going to be made into a miniseries is it on a first from sony pictures or no know? full tv series full yeah. tv oh cool yeah thank you thank you so much Th- yeah that's awesome what, what was that process like when they came to you and told you they wanted to do this 
It's been interesting. I I got a call. All of my creator on stuff tends to get to some stage of development that I do in the direct market. I've been lucky as far as that goes. But the truth is, that's true of many creators. You just don't hear about it because they tend to stall out at these early stages. So very often I'll get the call, like, oh, hey, I was looking at this. Or this studio picked this up and we're looking for a writer. And my response would be like, at first I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. But as time went on, I began to see how little that usually led to things. Okay. And so when this happened and we had, I got the call that Tegan and Sarah were going to be producers and that they have this overall deal with Sony. First of all, I was excited because obviously I love their music. I think that they are great creators beyond just being musicians. They ran their own TV series. They've written a book and they have produced years of incredible work. So for them to be the ones who are leading the show and shaping what it's going to be, incredible to me. They've been also personally great in our interactions. So that part couldn't accept me more. I'm always excited to hear who's looking at the things. I remember early on, this didn't end up being anything, but being told that I had 50 Cent and Mandy Moore looking at something separately. Very, very exciting to me. Cool. Many more childhood crush, a walk to remember forever. <laughs> and 50 Cent, when Get Richard Die Trying came out, New York was taken over. Yeah. And that was my childhood. That's the kind of stuff that I grew up in, really interested in. So that was cool then. But for it to actually come to fruition here, ha- have it announced, hearing little details here and there about who they're thinking for certain characters, it's been absolutely incredible. Destiny New York is. The work of my career, I it's my long-running series. It, it is my equivalent to a Why the Last Man, where it's a long-running creator-owned title that I have complete control over, which I've always wanted. And I feel that kind of thing. The standard direct market comics industry has made it very hard to have these kind of runs. So I'm very mm-hmm. proud that I've been able to do that in this market. So yeah, for this to be the one that's go- going off is very heartening. And for those listening and watching who might not be familiar What is the elevator pitch for Destiny New York? Destiny New York, in the briefest terms, is it takes the idea of the fantasy hero, how the the story always ends when the prophecy is fulfilled. This Mm -hmm. happens, this is what happens next. The little bit, the extended pitch is it follows a girl who had a prophecy made about her when she's young. She completes her destiny when she's just 13. Now she's entering her 30s trying to figure out life post-destiny. Oh. That's actually an interesting idea. Very much. <laughs> cool. What were the influences okay. when you are creating that idea? Like, how did you come upon this story? How did I come upon the story? It was a mixture of a lot. I was in the middle of my Robin Hood run. I talked to you when it was volume three. This run was the ongoing, which would be technically volume four, but we just called it the ongoing. It was a new issue one through issue 20. And I had an idea for a middle arc that didn't end up getting made and it just stuck with me and i it was really a scene or two that i ended up developing into a separate pitch and i was just really interested in the idea of following characters to places where where we don't usually see these fantasy stories have that kind of built-in ending if it's prophecy based and beyond that influences were funny enough to and sarah Harry Potter was a major influence because that's we have a character who is a bit of a Harry Potter parody character who starts that way and then grows in his own direction. 
And that was the core. That's our generation's defining fantasy story. So I wanted to subvert that and approach it in a way where the story isn't over once the hero does X. And beyond that, work like Six Feet Under and The Sopranos and Leftovers were a major force of inspiration for me there. Uh, And I can go on and on, but largely it was the core was me wanting to do a long-running series where I explore multiple characters and one specific core theme over the course of a decade or more. Cool. When did you get into this process of now turning it into a TV show? And you said that they're looking at actors and you're surprised. Obviously, I know you can't talk a lot about it, but is there an issue? Like, because you're talking about this, it's your baby. There has to be a level of trust in the people that are going to be creating the show. Do you have any... Do you have any doubts about it? How's that? No, they made the con. They made sainthood. I, I have no doubts now. Okay. Yeah. How involved are you going to be in the day-to-days of the show? Are you going to be actually working with the writer's room, or is this something you're just going to hand off and let them do their thing with? That, I don't know, personally. I am going to be... I have some work in the show. I definitely want to make sure that my word is heard. At the same time, I recognize that it's a different medium, and I am ready to do what... I'm ready to play whatever part I can while also realizing that there are many hands at work in shaping this into what it's going to be. And I think, too, when you're going from comics, which other than when you're working with an artist, but a lot of what you're doing, it's personal, right? It's more it's even more so when you're writing a novel or a short story. When you're writing a comic, like you pretty much have most of the control of the elements of what's going into the story. And there might be a moment that in your mind means X. Right. But now another creator looking at it, it means why to them. And it changes the perspective of what's going on. And I, it can either be really good and bring something new to the story you weren't expecting, or it could be like, no, nah, that's not really what I wanted. Are you, have you thought about those kinds of things? And are you just excited to have this come to life? I'll tell you this. My ideal is that, like the comic, I will see things in the show, and you'll see things in the show that can be interpreted in multiple different ways. I was actually just talking about this on a show yesterday, is that there are certain moments in the show, no, sorry, certain moments in the comic where I've talked to my editor, Shannon, and I'll be like, hey, this character in this moment does something that is very unlikable. Uh, Are people going to be able to forgive her and still invest in her journey? And there have been multiple times where Shannon was like, that character did the right thing. It's this character who was wrong. And I was like, oh, that's great then. That's what I want. I want to do work where people can interpret it in multiple different ways, where there's no strict, this is the right direction. This character does the wrong thing. I'm not interested in that sort of black and white morality. I want characters to exist like they're people in the real world, where people are going to have different interpretations. And I want to see that in the show because i see that as a strength so if the showrunner whoever they end up being if uh, tegan and sarah as producers end up seeing something that i wrote in a different way than i intended the truth is that is what i want for the readers so of course i would want that for the showrunners as well kassan's got an interesting comment here he says the script notes podcast has educated me on this process it's smart for a creator to find out the right to find the right studio and through a solid producer and just let the process and just let the thing run 
good notes actually there, Kassan. How do you feel so far with working with this whole process? Like, where are you at personally? And you got a very sober outlook on this. Either it's going to work or I'm going to keep moving on. But how are you feeling right now about this whole thing, where it stands? I feel good. The only thing that's on the horizon as a what if is that we are likely to see a writer's strike come soon, which would probably impact things. I don't know to what extent. I don't know how much can be done before then. That's not really for me to chime in on, but... It's definitely the only thing where I'm like, oh, I'm not sure how that's going to go. But no, as far as the rest, all the news that has come to me has has been cool to hear. I have not had any issues with anything. Yeah, I'm very invested. I'm very interested. I think cool. it's very exciting. Cool. It sounds yeah. It sounds like you're happy with the team and yeah, oh, yeah, and you feel good about it. So that's the most important thing I think right now. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've had I have said my piece to my rep about what I want the show to be like. And I believe that that's been heard because there are some people who would see a diverse female led cast and they, Oh, this could be a show like a CW show. This could be a Riverdale vibe. And that's the last thing I want. Yeah. (laughs) I, I want a prestige show like six feet under like boardwalk empire, like Sopranos. That is the vibe that I write it as. That is the vibe that I want for the show. So cool. while this project is gestating, what do you have working on the comic front right now? Like you got to keep things moving, got to keep the train going. Where are we at with that? Where are you going with that? Yeah. The comic for the series? Yes. Yeah. Still ongoing. Every year I do at least one Kickstarter. Right now there are two main ways to read the book. You can read them through my Kickstarter where I am working on volume six right now. It would be the equivalent of an issue probably up to 42 or so of the main title. And that will continue for years and years and black mask licenses licenses the the comic for single issues and they have done so far 13 issues of the main series and are launching a new number one to cover the third arc that it will be in stores next month so yeah it's just ongoing now there's no change in what we're doing as far as that goes maybe some new attention to it which would be great but yeah no just moving on the same path and all that this would impact is potentially the length of the series because I always key into how each campaign is doing, if we're growing, if the audience is, if if everyone who's been on track is staying with us because I have multiple endpoints. I could end at a volume 11. I could end at a volume 20 plus. And I do have a definitive end in mind. So I'm very careful to bring the ending about when the time is right, not too early, not too late. So I think that all the impact that this would have is giving me more creative freedom to end it at the exact right time by boosting us. Yes. You also have another Kickstarter going on right now. The link is actually in the description below for those who are watching. You summoned Cthulhu to back your Kickstarter. (laughs) Yes. Well, I summoned Cthulhu to fund my Kickstarter. To fund your Kickstarter. Yes. It's a horror comedy. It It's like This is the End meets the comics industry. It takes real-life comic book creators, and it puts them as the characters in this story where creators are... They pledge their souls to dark gods in exchange for success. And the joke of the book is that each dark god represents a trend in the comics community. You have the Bad Girl Comics dark god. You have the Cthulhu dark god, because this is a major trend in comics as well. You have the 90s comics dark gods, and so on. I poke fun lovingly, while also fully embracing all these trends within the industry. It's a three-issue series. It's horror comedy. It's a lot of fun. It's written by me. 
drawn by Patrick Mulholland and colored by James Offready with letters by Jim Campbell. It has been one of the funnest that we've had on with my company, Space Between, with our work. Yeah, and as as you're watching it, there is five days left. Yeah. So that's Thursday or Friday? We end Friday. Friday. So it ends Friday. Yeah, click that link below and back it because it looks like a lot of fun. Thanks. Pat, Kassan has a question for you. He wants to know, what are your thoughts on comics versus novels? Do you find comics constricting and novels less accessible? Two questions there, really, because comics constricting. Um, sometimes work for higher comics, yeah, because if I am in control, if it's a comic that I'm publishing through my company, it could be as long and short as I want. I could do, for Destiny New York, I have done 11-page chapters. I have done 45-page chapters. I let the story speak for itself. I don't let the medium constrict me by any means, but sometimes there'll be work for hire, especially if I'm working with somebody else's outline where I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, you know what? This is a mini series that's squeezed into a one shot. I'm going to make it work, but I do feel constricted for sure. So I pick the moments here and there. But the truth is I also write games and with games, speak, talk about constriction. The backstory of characters has to fit in the description of a skin which is a lot more constricting than a comic. So let's say each medium has its different levels of constriction and different strengths. As far as do I find novels less accessible? The answer is probably no. It seems like it would be because comics you could just read and be done with in 20 minutes for a single issue. The truth is, though, novels are more accessible to the general public because people are more aware of what a novel is. It sounds crazy when, whenever I say it, but the truth is that whenever I travel and I speak to someone about what I do, a very common response is, oh, they still make those? People don't really know what comics are outside of classic superhero comics. Yeah. And that is that speaks to how inaccessible our industry has made comics by really leaning into a very niche audience. And part of what I want to do with Space Between Entertainment is to make comics that aren't for a niche audience. They're comics that can be read by anyone, enjoyed by anybody, and are promoted that way. Where I, I want every issue that I do, every comic that I do, to be a great first comic for anybody. Where you don't read it and you go, oh, how do I read this? That, I think, is a major problem with mainstream comics that I'm personally avoiding. Because the comics that I read... When I went into comics, I gravitated toward the books that didn't speak to me like it was inside baseball. And I think that's important. And I think that is why it might be answering your question from a different angle, but I feel that novels are probably more accessible. That's fascinating. Um, personally, I want to know, as a publisher, how do you feel like you have to reach out to those non-traditional comics readers? Let's say, How do you try to expand that reach as an indie publisher to non-normal comic readers and to get more dudes off the streets to check your stuff out? I think it is about, honestly, I feel like in a way it is, I take a page from Manga's book. Manga has an incredible penchant for putting the pitch in the title. You see these long, seemingly clunky manga titles that sell the book to those who want to know what it is on the front cover. And that has worked incredibly for me. At cons, my biggest books, Destiny New York, sure, that, that is there for the readers who ask, oh, what's that? Beautiful. But what sells someone passing by and makes them stop, Gangster Asperista, title is, the title is the pitch. 
smoke weed, see the future. They see <laughs> these titles and they go, whoa, what's that? So one, it's eye-catching. Two, it's funny. Three, the story is the title. You read the title and you know what it is. That manga does very well. American comics couldn't do that worse than they are right now. So I do feel that that is one of many ways that I reach out to someone who might not know what comics are and pull them into my world. Ksenaz follows it up. Is, do you think we'll ever see a shift in comics to Japan's manga model, more content, less color and detail? I don't know if I agree with the premise of the question. I think that we are shifting toward a more manga-based model. Color, yes. That part of the question I entirely agree with. I think that we're going to see more black and white comics. I personally, my graphic novels are black and white. The single issues that I publish are colored, but Destiny New York, all those in that world, Prison Witch, all black and white. As far as detail, I would say that manga is more detailed than American comics. It's just not as busy. The detail is chosen in different ways. Yes, there are very undetailed manga books, but look at many of the comics now from Marvel. Look at the kids' comics from Kaboom, Scholastic. I would say that there's more detail in manga, even though it's churned out in a different way, and the structure of the page requires less physical work than a larger comic book page. It's a shame that John isn't here. <laughs> yeah, we have this. He'd be happy because we have this reoccurring gag on the show where John reads the titles of his favorite anime, and it's very much in line of what you're talking about, where the pitch is the title. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's that's very fascinating. Where why when you do black and white books, is it an economic decision, an economic decision? Excuse me, or is it more of a this is just the this is just the way I choose to tell my stories when I pump when you pump these things out? Is it more financially driven because it's cheaper, so to say, or is it more this is the way this is the best way I can tell my story? It's all that. It is all that. Destiny New York started as financial for sure. But part of the conversation was, all right, so if we do color, it will cost this. If we do black and white, it will cost this. Mm -hmm. What are the strengths and problems of black and white? A major strength is the indie vibe. I brought that up. I was like, you know, what other comics do black and white? Oh, right now, The Walking Dead, biggest indie book ever. Strangers in Paradise, best indie book ever. I immediately saw, I was like, oh, why are we trying to do color? Like, Why would this need color? And then I was like, all right, let's do a test. Add grayscale to this and treat it as if it was a complete page, not just inks. And Mamo Petano, who was the original artist, did that. And it looked great. And from there, I feel like every volume gets better and better at utilizing grayscale in a way where, you know, like now the rarity of that comment of the, oh, it's black and white. It's, I almost never hear it. And I used to hear it a lot more because one, it was more rare. Manga wasn't as influential on American comics back then as it was now, is now. And two, I think that if you pick it up, the thought is less, oh, it's not in color and more, oh, wow. I I agree. I agree with that. And you can do a lot, I think, in black and white if you know what you're doing to do contrasts and make it look beautiful. And I, you're right. I do hear it less and less. Oh, this isn't black and white. Because, again, there's also a lot of younger fans who read manga and a lot of that manga or however you say it. That is in black and white as well. But I will say early on when we got a comic to review that was a very indie, one guy did it himself kind of thing. And... It was black and white, and he had panels where it was there was no con, there's no grayscale, there's no no shading, 
done. It was all like everything was black and white. Yeah. And it was it it really it was like I had to be honest with him. I'm like, this is visually this is hard to see what's going on because of the way you did it. There's oh, no yeah. detail or anything. It's you might as well have done stick figures. So if you don't know what you're doing, it's bad. But I do yeah. obviously you've been in the business long enough, you know the differences, but yeah, I'm just that's just a word of warning to people out there. You can do so much in in Photoshop nowadays with grayscale and yeah. all of that stuff and have shading and make it look beautiful if you don't know what you're doing as an artist. Oh, it's true. There's a world of difference between pencils and inks that aren't colored versus a complete black and white page. If something just looks unfinished, whether it be black and white or color, it's not going to look like a cool comic to read. And I think that personally, the difference is obvious. It should be obvious to those making it. And it's obvious to the consumer. It's one of those things where you'll know it if you see. Grayscale shading is a major part of it. But just also look at manga. Not all manga has grayscale shading, but some of them use line weight in such a way that creates this beautiful depth to the page that it doesn't even need grayscale shading. So, yeah, I really think it's more of a you, you know it if you see it thing. But, yeah, just like basic line art that's not colored, to me, is not a complete black and white picture. Yeah. Pat, what's your creative process looking like these days when you're scripting and like going through the thing of writing a script and getting the book format? What's that look like now as opposed to when you started like doing this? A few changes that I made. There are some books that I do my old way. And my old way being that it's still my main way. I will just fully script it. I will write panel by panel. I'll do the dialogue as I go along. Sometimes I'll panel out a full scene and then go back and add dialogue and just tweak here and there. That's how I've always done that. But what has changed a little bit is this. I have more artists who are waiting on me for work. So sometimes if it is a book that isn't Destiny New York, uh, which is very dialogue driven, I will script out the panels and leave dialogue suggestions. Because very important to me is the facial acting and the character acting that's drawn in. So the artist needs to know what the character is feeling, what they're saying. But in some cases, to me, the artist doesn't need to know what the exact line is. So very often, if I'm on a time crunch, I'll panel it out, I'll write the panels as they have to be drawn, and instead of a full line of dialogue, I'll write, for example... A second case that I have live now through my Cheeky Comics, which is my adult imprint, I have this story, Amarini Amateur Cupid. Now, it's a fun, art-driven story. So I'll mm-hmm. have panel one fully described. Dialogue is it will be in italics. It'll say, Amarini is going to say something to the effect of blank. And I'll write out the intent of the line. And then when the art is done, I'll go back and write the dialogue finalized over the art that way. I prefer to do it the other way on most titles, but I find that on my not safe for work stuff, that's better because it's it's a lot more art driven, but destiny New York, I'll always keep it. My personal way is that I prefer to fully script it out and finish the dialogue first. All right. You know what? It's funny. You've said not safe for work. So that made me think of a question I did have you, of course, most famously known for your work with Zenoscope with Robin hood and, that's how I found you. That's, I think a lot of people found you. Do you, Zenoscope obviously has a very interesting reputation, right? Because yeah. people look at the covers 
and they don't go past that. They don't actually read the stories. What do you say to people that are like, oh, Xenoscope is just a TNA book? In the past, I used to say, please give me a chance. Believe me, it's good. Now I tend to say, oh, you are a 50-year-old guy, right? That's who it is. It's older guys who believe they're speaking for young women. Don't do this. It's sexist. The cover is sexist. Who's buying the covers are women, largely. They This audience of older men who believe that they have to fight like white knights for the rights of women, don't go to conventions and see what Xenoscope's booth looks like. They don't see the, the numbers on, for example, Brian Polito's work, on now Stepin Sejic's work. This work that puts sexuality at the forefront in a positive way, whether it be like Sejic's work as part of the narrative or like Xenoscopes as just a cover marketing ploy. That audience is a lot more diverse than its critics would give it credit for. And again, it goes back to manga. You see the young audience, young men, and especially young women love, as your friend tweeted, waifu content. Um, Those booths that sell the waifu goddamn standees, like the acrylic standees, yeah, women are buying those. Women are drawing those. Almost all of my not safe for work covers drawn by women. It's it's such an old critique. I see it so much less now, but back in the day, I got it a lot, and it was always older dudes complaining about Xenoscope. And I believe that the times has shown them how wrong they are to be obsessed with these books about men in tights punching people. Instead of and just demonizing books about sex, which is far more universal, the yeah. extent to which that's more universal than the superhero genre, it's it's astronomical. So that's definitely it's been such a weird point to, that I've seen that, and again, it's dwindling. That critique is going away, but man, was it a big part of my first few years of writing? Yeah, oh, definitely. And it's funny because I've always said that the cover draws you in, but then like you read it and it's a really yeah. good story. Yeah, I've I definitely said that myself. And part of why I'm doing my Cheeky Comics imprint and why I wrote Thirsty, Cheeky, and Steamy with Amy was that back in the day, even some of my peers, my fellow writers, would talk about me, talk about Xenoscope, subtweet us saying that it's porn. Yeah. And the truth is that it wasn't. But my thought was, what is so wrong with sex? What are you so ashamed of? Because you said that... I'm now going to write porn, literal porn, that is better than anything that that, that you'll ever write. It's better than your magnum opus. I will bring character, theme, narrative arcs to what you critique to show you that you were wrong about Xenoscope, but even if you were right, still fuck you. Awesome. (laughs) That might be one of the best comments I've ever heard about those kinds of critiques. (laughs) Cool. Cool. All right. So think what we'll do we'll wrap up this section and i'll wrap it up with the question i normally end interviews on and that is how do you measure success how do i measure success yeah like i've I've had to answer this question in multiple different ways and i always try to think outside of the box because people say what what does breaking into comics mean what does Mm -hmm. this mean and the truth is that to me it means at this point a different thing that it meant before before Mm -hmm. i might say it means to become professional, to write and get paid for it. Now the truth is that success to me means to be able to do whatever I want to do as a creator. Yeah. 
that I don't have to say yes to anyone that I want, that I don't want to work with, that I don't have to take opportunities that I don't find interesting. And most of all, thanks to my readership, thanks to Kickstarter, thanks for the shifting market. I don't have to ever go up to a publisher or IP farm's door and say, never. I do it now. Yeah. I don't have to go to any of these publishers and write an editor who I've never met, who I probably wouldn't like it if I met in person, and ask them to give me a chance. I don't need a chance anymore. And I feel that's, that is success, and it's obtainable to any comics creator. Those of you who are working on pitches for publishers who will greenlight you, not market you, s- sell your book in comic stores where they have to order issues one, two, and three before anyone reads number one. You don't need that. You don't need them. All you need is yourself, your mind, and great artists. Awesome. I see JD nodding along in agreement there. Like, that is awesome. That's perfect. Said. Thank you. And you've used that term IP farm a lot on this show, Jamie. That's why I nodded. Because there's a like minds. I like, I appreciate that. Awesome. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with a fun little topic to finish up on. Cool. We're talking bass fishing. The station club. Ultraverse on sale today. Comic book store. Let's go. They couldn't be there on 38 for the launch of that super guy or in 62 for the launch of that spider guy, but they can be there now for the birth of the Ultraverse. Mine! That way! Prime, hard case, first editions in comic shops, June 16th. To enter to win one of 200 special edition posters, call this number now. After these messages, we'll be right back. Wow. Remember the Ultraverse? <laughs> barely, barely. I didn't remember them being TV commercials for that. That's actually wild. Yeah, that's actually it was sent to me by Joey from So Wizard as a for to use on the show. So well done, Joey. I like that. So I'm actually so we were going to talk about this last week and we ended up not getting to it. So I'm curious because of your the way you came into comics, Pat. Of course, Superman just turned 85 this year. He's been around. He's the first superhero, as it were. So I'm curious, he's touched everyone in the comic book industry in some way. What was your introduction to Superman? Oh, I don't know. I read a few of the comics here and there, but I would be as able to answer that less as the Star Wars question. I've read some of his stuff for work, for, oh, a modern writer reviews classic comic, but I don't personally know. Sorry. (laughs) I didn't think that would go over. I think I was like, this might be an interesting answer. I want to hear what Pat has to say about this. I'm bigger on Supergirl than Superman. I have read most Supergirl comics up until New 52. And so I probably read like the 90s run to that run. But yeah, no, it's not for me. I think that Alan Moore's classics, great. A few that I've read here and there, really cool. Um, but it was never a story that spoke to me personally. Interesting. What is it? Because obviously you're not as much into classic superheroes. And I'm just curious, what is it that doesn't speak to you uh, about them? Is it the heavy-handed morality? Is it the... Because you do write a lot of stuff that is more gray. To me, it feels... Oh, yes, yeah, boy, it feels... <laughs> yeah, you don't want to kill your career here, so be careful. <laughs> yeah. I feel like anyone who knows my stuff wouldn't think oh yeah i see this superman influence here but i don't know when i look at the older comics i feel like i do when i look at tv before the 80s i look at like 
older movies where it's like, oh yeah, they're for the time, cool. But there's so much innovation that hasn't happened yet that I can see in real time looking when I read through these comics. It's fun to see from a sort of intellectual standpoint, watching someone come in and blow the doors off and go, oh, this is going to be the influential run that that adds this element to how comics are read now. And then this and that. Cool. But personally, for enjoyment as a reader, inspiration, I feel like I came in the game way too late to enjoy those, personally. I started reading comics. I had a box, a shoebox of like Creepshow. That was more along my yeah. lines of an older comic that I loved. The Bernie Wrightson art, the Stephen King writing, that to me was great. I had Rocketeer, which I'll be real, I read because of a sexy lady. I opened the book. Uh, oh, hot girl. I am a, an eight-year-old boy. Of course. Right. But I only started to dip into the classics about a decade ago. The first comics that I read consistently were in the mid-2000s. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, it's just far, it's far removed from my comic experience. All right. I think, I'm pretty sure JD and I have the same answer to the question. We probably both initially experienced superman in the movie the 1978 oh, yeah. movie yeah that was our introduction uh, to superman. on tv yeah i was yeah. young watching the theater not being born negative seven or something like that or five yeah i was four i didn't see it in the theater either we, it was vcr when it came out on video yeah it's funny it, it is what probably got me interested in comics in the first place oh, that's great and then it's funny though i will say this and it this is one of those things i don't think a lot of people realize if you go back i have a lot of the collected editions from the 40s and some from the 50s of superman it was a much different character back then he was such a different character when they first introduced him he was very misogynistic but of course it's the time and i actually would say stuff about lois being a dumb broad and all in in the strips yeah and like that yeah that flew back then you could never get away with that today oh never i would love to see that try to republish those and i'm sure they go through those and censor out now like they don't show the really bad ones but yeah yeah all right we killed that quick <laughs> sorry guys <laughs> oh, sorry, man. so let me ask you then just out of curiosity are there any traditional superheroes at all that you like oh yeah yeah supergirl i like okay I like Batman. I like Thor. The core Marvel characters, I was genuinely excited and happy to write them. A lot of the comics that I read in the mid-2000s were the Marvel comics from that era. The only Marvel heroes I don't really personally connect to a lot is the X-Men. I have written them once, and I liked what I liked that experience, but I feel more of a distance from them yeah. than, say captain america personally as far as dc goes i like stephanie brown batgirl oh okay i like star girl batman's villains are sick but i don't really list those kind of things as inspiration it's right. more part of a cool part about comics the legacy of passing down these characters which have been building the american mythology but I don't find the fiction of them to be influential on what i'm doing personally and i get it too because you are a little younger than us you got into it a couple decades after me and i can definitely see why we've talked about this on the show many times is there there is a barrier to entry to comics and oh, yeah. characters that have been around for 85 years and even though he's been reinvented many times and reintroduced and 
put on TV and movies and stuff and, and retold his origin, and it's always tweaked a little bit, it's still tough to pick up a, a comic at number 1,000 and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I understand everything that's going on here. It sure is. It sure is. And that's it's hard to avoid, too, because part of the situation that they're in is that, yeah, they want to deliver these jumping on points. At the same time, though, they have to appeal to people who made the characters famous for years. There are people who will read every Batman comic until they are deceased. And yeah. they don't want to just explain what Batman is over and over every issue or every arc or every new writer. That would not be great. But also, it is not great to have unskilled writers continuing these legacy characters for long periods of time and making it so that people who watch these popular movies go and read comics and they read something that is indecipherable. Yeah. You're, and it's funny too, because I think back to when I started reading comics and there was an edict in Marvel. I think it came down from Stan that everyone's comic could be their first comic. And so like you would read, I don't know how many Spider-Man issues I have where there's a flashback to his origin in it in some way, shape or form. And it's like, okay. I get it, but this is the 30th time. <laughs> I've read about him getting bit by radioactive spider and then letting a thief go by who then kills his uncle. <laughs> yes, we know the story, but... Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Part of what we're doing with... I used to be a staff writer for Xenoscope. I was exclusive, doing it full-time. Mm. Now I run my own company, so what I do for Xenoscope is all work for hire. My main work there right now is my second Van Helsing run, and part of their current run of books they don't really do ongoing or miniseries anymore they will do their flagship characters will have one shots every other month that over the course of a year builds into a full arc now van helsing's story is told in these one shots it begins with an annual and then continues with these 30 page one shots each one shot resolves by the end but also builds so i'm very careful to not give the information over and over again i will catch readers up who missed the last issue with a caption sometimes of the most important information only when it becomes relevant to what's going on in that story. Okay. But to remind, I have never done a, this is how Van Helsing started hunting vampires panel. Like that, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, agreed. And I guess too, when not Zenoscope, because again, that is still, they're, they're not Marvel or DC, but they've been around for a while and, they have IP and there is, I know there's rules for writing the characters and all those kinds of things. But with your independent work, you're free to kill a character if you want. And then oh, yeah. you're done with the character forever. Whereas famously in the 90s, they killed Superman, but that did not last long at all. So it's, that's one of the things too, I've always, if they finally just killed a superhero and just stopped making the book, I understand there's the whole IP farm, but like Superman has a son now in the comics. So can't we kill? Clark Kent and then just have his son take over the role and move forward with that and just never bring Clark Kent back again? Probably not. Xenoscope did it with their main character, Sky. I actually got to kill her after 125 issues. And no, not Sky, Sila. And now Sky, her daughter, ha has not taken over. But they can do that because as many people care, it's not tied to multiple different media movie franchises. So that's one of the things that makes it as. As cool as it is to pass down this legacy 
of these heroes, there's something that's very limiting about it as well. True. Very true. Yeah. All right. I think we killed that enough. <laughs> so let's let's wrap this one up. And we always wrap it up with either A, did you learn something on the podcast this week? Or B, do you have any recommendations for the, the watchers and listeners? So Pat, you're the guest. You can go first. Do I have any recommendations? I would recommend... I'll go with my friend Dave Francini. He is currently the publisher at Zenoscope. He has an ongoing run with Zenoscope's Bell. I think that is a great, great run for anyone who wants to jump on and see what Zenoscope is about. And yeah, it's been cool watching Dave. He started as Zenoscope's salesman, and he has since risen to essentially be steering the ship of their stories and it is an amazing evolution to see one that should be talked a lot more about in the comics industry. Cool. JD. Catch Return of the Jedi this week. It's an awesome experience in the theater. It's something about watching a big movie like that. And it's aged pretty good, surprisingly. And uh, yeah, I learned that I need to catch up on Pat Chan's work, man. It sounds like I would click with it really well. Thank you very much. Cool. I learned that there are younger people who don't read superhero comics and that's okay. Cause they're, brilliant writers and i definitely recommend if you've not read pat's robin hood run because that's where i learned who you were and i love those those books i have them collected in the three volumes go check it out like it's really good stuff yes i also would recommend you go to superherospeak.com where you can find the podcast every week links to all our social media at the top of the page comic book reviews by good friend Kristen, and so much more and Make sure you go see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 because that is what we will be talking about on this podcast next week. So until then, oh, you know what? Before I sign off, Pat, real quick, where can people find you on social media? I forgot to ask that. All right. Social media, I'm at Pat Shand for my Kickstarter right now in the description below, I believe, right? Yes. Yes, it is I Summoned Cthulhu to fund my Kickstarter. And also, I am doing Cheeky Comics Annual 2023 on kickstarter as well it's the launch of this imprint of not safe work books the url is tinyurl.com slash cheeky annual if you get both you get a special beautiful double-sized print and thank you for having me cool all right on that note boys and girls as always thanks for watching don't let your cape caught in the door have a good week